This is The Big Show with Gordon Monson and Jake Scott, presented by Big O Tires. Stop by your locally owned Big O Tires for no credit needed financing and the best prices on winter tires. Big O Tires, the team you trust. This is 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. It's <laughs> The Big Show. Can't say sure? those things to me, Austin, before I'm we come sure back, back on air. Don't awesome. do that. Oh, uh, yeah. It is the big show. Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We're going to talk to David Locke coming up here momentarily. We'll ask David, of course, about uh, all-star selections and schedule for the second half of the year. And, oh, yeah, uh, a little thing like uh, a nationally televised game against the Lakers tonight here at Vivint Arena. Oh, there's that. There's that little thing, that mm-hmm. little thing going on here today. LeBron being in town and all. Every time the Lakers come into town, it's uh, there's a little extra excitement, I think, uh, because there's so many former Californians uh, who live here now, and uh, it's such a it's such a glamour team through the years. So people get excited. It's the don't you think it's the Jazz's number one rival? Uh, rival's such an interesting word. Um, I don't know. They have a lot of history with the Lakers, certainly. Yeah, I I can't think of any team Jazz fans would rather see their uh, their team beat. But you can say that about the whole league for the most part, which is part of that what they makes all the, view Lakers, the Lakers that way. part of what makes the Lakers <laughs> annoying. Uh and and people who love the Lakers so much like yourself. Not a Lakers fan. Never uh, ever. Uh let's get out of the zone phone. Joining us now radio voice of the Utah Jazz. His appearance brought to you as always by the Murdoch Auto Group. He's the one and only David Locke with us here on the Big Show. What's going on, David? Man, we're good. Uh, should be a great game tonight. Uh, ESPN's in town. Uh, LeBron's in town. And the Jazz have the best record in the league. So that's the recipe for what should be a pretty good evening. Yeah, I mean, the Lakers are the defending champions. Probably should mention that as well. Um, so, yeah, and the greatest player to ever play in the history of the game was somehow playing 38 minutes a night over the last 10 games. And, you know, they struggle to score, though. That will That will be what's interesting. If we can... If we can move the ball against their defense and, and get some looks, we could be okay because they really struggle to score. David, I've always seen you as a logical thinker. Tell me your thoughts on the guys who are going to the All-Star game from the Jazz and the fact that Mike Conley, well, I guess we'll have to wait and see yeah. on that. Yeah, I mean, it's really hard to make the All-Star team. Uh, I, I think it's probably time to make some adjustment, though I've said this all the time about – um, we've said this for years, you know, from 12 to 15, which is what the roster is, feels like, you know, maybe we'd be arguing what the snubs are then anyway. Um, but it just feels like if you move to 15, you'd be eliminating a lot of this debate. Uh, John Corrales, who covers the Celtics for the Locked On Podcast Network, was on Locked On NBA today, had an interesting idea, which was that you form the teams by 12, and then you had six spots that – because we're not playing conference anyway, it doesn't matter. Six at-large spots, and you get to 30 All-Stars. I thought that was interesting, right? So then, you know, Devin Booker and Sabonis get on, and maybe Mike Conley makes it as well then. Um, and you're at that 30 number, but it's but it's not by conference for the last six. I thought that was a good idea. It just feels like there's room for something to change um, in that regard. Um because, frankly, we're playing 15-men rosters a lot of the time anyway. 
Um, but, you know, Mike Conley's deserving of the all-star team, but so are the 12 guys that are on the roster, and so is Devin Booker, and probably so is Shea Gilgis-Alexander. And so, and you know, you can make a pretty good claim for Jordan Clarkson if you want to be complaining. So it's, it's not a, you know, it, I don't want to be Dick Vitale and put 83 teams in the NCAA tournament. Uh, David, let's talk a little bit about the, the schedule, which was released today. I'm sure you've had a few moments to look it over uh, to find out which nights you uh, indeed are going to be working. Give us your initial reaction to what you saw. Well, you sure look at it differently when you don't travel, right? It's like true. it's not quite the, it's not quite the same travel analysis that you used to do. Like, oh, and then texting a friend. You know what my first comment on this is? We should do this every year. Throughout COVID, we have stumbled upon things. Uh, my son's high school graduation, they did some things that was, were way better than a regular graduation uh, that I hope that they'll keep forever uh, because of COVID. And uh, there have been numerous other things where I think, you know, there's no reason for us all to go to the office every day. Like, I think we've learned that, right? Like, um, there's, there's a bunch of stuff. One of those, I think, is this. I think this is fun. Like, we should do this all the time. This should be the new model is that after some amount of games, you announce the second half schedule. It also allows you to adjust the TV games from a league standpoint that I think is really helpful to the league, right? Like, so, you know, we have six national TV games now, which is a lot, actually, for us. And... um that's good. We should. We, we deserve to have six. We, we, we don't usually have six national TV games, but we're the number one record, so they, have just, they, they adjusted in the backside of the season and just gave us six national TV games. So I, I think this is actually one of those things where the league has stumbled upon something and should keep it moving forward, which is this second release of the second half of the schedule. And you can line up some matchups and things of that nature. Generally, um, other than one really, really weird, wacky road trip, that's going on in the middle of this, uh, where you start in Golden State and end in Florida. Um, and I don't think the Golden State that we're talking about is the state of Florida. Um, I, I think the schedule is actually pretty soft. Uh, the Jazz have played a, a lot of really good teams early on. I love the fact that most of the homestands are multiple games, like because a one game home, that April 24th one game home against Minnesota might as well be a road game, which suddenly turns that into a seven game trip. Uh, but everything else that you're looking at has got a nice element to it in the sense that it, you know, that you're home for a while. Um, you have a long stretch of games where we could get on another pretty massive win streak uh, with, I think, start, you know, you go, you start with that Sacramento April 10th. And if you, I don't think you can beat the Lakers twice, but, you know, run that one through Denver. You could win a lot of basketball games in that stretch. Um your road games are at Minnesota, at Sacramento, and at Phoenix. You lose that Phoenix game. You lose one or two of those Lakers games. You suddenly still have won 14 of 17. Um, there's, there's a, I, I, you know, we've, they've earned it. They have, I think it's the second or third uh, easiest schedule by winning percentage of anyone in the NBA. David, have you gotten used to the idea when you look at those NBA standings that the Jazz are 25 and 6 and the only team in the league with uh, single-digit losses? No. Not at all. It's crazy. It's insane. Like we do a, I do a feature every week on locked on jazz, but like is the power ranking Tuesday. So it's like this interesting thing. Like we're number one in everything. Like we're number one in everyone's power ranking right now. I don't think we will be next week, quite frankly. Um, I think Brooklyn is about to take that spot in everyone's mind as the, as the elite team in the league. 
Um, but it's – no, I have not come to grips with how good this team is at all. We're the third-best offense and second-best defense. Like, there aren't a lot of teams that have done that in the history of the game. Um, so I'm pretty stunned by what we're watching. And um, I talked to Hans and Scotty about this. I mean, the one you start playing around with for us is if we win tonight, you're you're five games up on the loss column on Lakers. Well, okay, you're five games up on the loss column. You've only lost six. <laughs> right? Significant and, Right? Like, I mean, you start playing around with this. We'll have 40 games done with the end of tonight. If we win tonight, we're 26 and six. Like, if you go 25 and 15 the rest of the way, which seems reasonable if you just went 26 and six, like, it doesn't seem like you're being too outlandish at that point. And, and you're up five in the loss column against the Lakers. They would not only have to beat us twice the rest in those next two games, but they would have to go 30 and 10. Right? Like, that, and, and they're certainly capable of going 30 and 10. I don't think there's any question about that because if they get healthy, but they're not healthy right now. And they don't have Dennis Schroeder tonight, and they don't have Anthony Davis till after the All-Star break. And so, I mean, I just, you know, even the Clippers who are just outstanding, the same game, you can play the same game, right? If we go 26 and 14, the rest of the way, they have to go 30 and 10. Actually, they have to go 29 and 9. They have to go 31 and 9 because we have the tiebreaker. We don't play them again this year. So, David, I want to talk about something that you've hit on a lot in uh, in the broadcast, and I, I think you're right on the money. Um, you 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 talk about how the hug the shooters defense when playing against the Jazz has been effective, and you mentioned that Atlanta was kind of the first team to do it, uh, but the Clippers did it effectively last week, particularly in that second game. And will you just explain what that defense does to the Jazz, and then the adjustment the Jazz have to make when they're effective against that defense? So, I mean, what it does is the Jazz have been taking you know, the most amount of threes of any team in the league. And they're in non-blowout minutes, they're taking 45% of their shots as threes. Their bench unit, the bench unit, which is, it's kind of a weird thing to call it the bench unit, but it's Conley with Gobert, Niang, Ingles, and uh, Clarkson is taking like 54% of their shots as threes so far this year. Like, it's crazy. But we make 40% of them. So if you let us shoot those threes, you're dead. You have... You have no chance. Like, it's like you're dead. So the only answer that anyone has right now is to hug the shooters, not allow us to get the, the, the drives and the kickouts to where the ball starts moving and the blender starts rolling, and to play us in a manner so that you're, you're basically we're playing a two-man game in the middle of the floor, and you're defending. So you're seeing the Jazz do some fun things, like they'll go put all three shooters on one side of the floor, which allows, you know, Conley and Gobert to play with this like wide open floor and figure out how to score. It, the Clippers did it well. Those were two of our worst offensive nights of the year. Miami played us a little bit differently, but we didn't. We did not have a particularly good offensive night, and we didn't actually have a very good offensive night against Atlanta. So it's the best way to slow us down right now. What it really does more than anything else is it warps our shot chart. Um, if you look at the way you know we've we've not been getting to the rim. Um, this, the same way that we were earlier this year. Now, the funniest thing is that it felt like um, Charlotte tried it for a while, but it was so contrary to what they do as a team, they couldn't do it. So it's nice to say that the Clippers and the, have built the script, but, I mean, this also now gets to the point where you have to have the personnel to be able to execute it. Um, but we are seeing some things 
So, for example, in the two games against the Clippers, the Jazz took 35 and 38 shots as non-restricted area twos. Restricted areas that half circle into the basket. Any other shot for two is a, is a pretty low percentage shot. So we, we've seen that take place in those two games. Philadelphia kind of did this. We took 31 against them. Against Atlanta, we took 29. So we're seeing that begin to happen. We're, we're getting to the rim a little less. 20 is kind of a good number, number for us at the rim. We were at 19 against Milwaukee, who just takes away the paint. 10 against Philadelphia, 14 against the Clippers, 16 against Charlotte. Yeah, you go shoot 50% from three and take 22 corner threes like we did against Charlotte. You don't need to go to the rim the same way. So that Charlotte game is a little bit of an anomaly. But you're also not shooting 15 of 22 on corner threes very often. That was quite something. David, that game against Charlotte, uh, Jake and I were having a conversation earlier about how impressed we were both at the offensive end and the defensive end of what happened after the Jazz redirected that uh, the direction of that game. Uh, I'm curious to know what you were thinking when you watched the Jazz through the end of that third quarter into the fourth go on that 26-2 run. You see good, suddenly really strong defense, and the Jazz just going berserk with their shooting from three and also the, the, the one pass into Rudy at the rim. I mean, it was it was stunning. I've heard you describe teams before as being really scary. That was a scary stretch by the Jazz, and it was in, it was completely different than what we'd seen earlier in the game. Your thoughts? Well, I was concerned. Um, I, um, I we had not stopped Charlotte the first time we played them either. We just had this unbelievable offensive night against them. So I was actually very concerned in that game that we were not going to be able to uh, stop them at any point. Uh, what's when I went back, I, and then when it happened, I honestly didn't have any idea what had happened. Gordon, Jake can attest to this. In the postgame show, I said, I'm going back. I'm going home right now so I can go watch the game because I didn't actually have any idea what had happened. It happened so fast and kind of, whoa, like how did we just go from down 10 to up 16 like that? Um, what I did learn when I went and watched the games, it actually really started, as coaches would love to tell you, on the defensive end. George Niang made two or three defensive plays, one in transition where he cut off Lonzo Ball and then forced Lonzo Ball back out and then Ball, or excuse me, LaMelo, and LaMelo tried to play one-on-one on him and didn't score. Um, another where he switched to pick and roll perfectly and Jordan Clarkson then really connected, reacted perfectly, intercepted the ball pass. Um, those were the plays that actually allowed that whole thing to happen. Had that not taken place, you know, you're not – really within striking distance you're down 13 I think it's 73 60 when that all started or something of that sort and they made a bunch of defensive plays that allowed it to take place um, and allowed them to kind of get that momentum going the other thing was that Jordan Clarkson who was remarkably unselfish in that stretch he did hit two threes but he also made two or three really necessary passes in the midst of that so one of the things I think happens to teams is when they're on the ropes, they start to try to solve the problem themselves. And we saw the opposite out of this group. They allowed the group to solve the problem. And I thought that was really interesting. David, uh, knowing Quinn Snyder as you do, which is certainly uh, better than me, do you think he's actually looking forward to coaching the All-Star game? Um, you know, I mean, I think he'd probably rather, like, hang out with his wife Amy and his kids and, like, some – like 
I don't know, like at the bottom of Salton Ski Resort and like hang out and watch the kids ski. If we're really honest about it, do I think he's honored and proud of representing what this team has done? And do I think he cherishes the opportunity to hold conversations with the brightest basketball players in the world? Yes. Um, but this is maybe not the all-star game where he gets to do that very much. Right. Because this all-star game, they may not get that time, but I mean, if, you know, there's a reason why Quinn was so close to Kobe, the brightest minds of the NBA come together and talk about the game in a different manner. And that is certainly something that Quinn can do. And I think he would have, you know, I think in that sense, he would cherish this opportunity. If we're totally honest, um, you know, I think, he is a, you know, he would probably rather be at the bottom of solitude watching his kids come down the slopes with his wife. I'll agree with you on that, David. Uh, but it is sort of R&R versus R. And I'll use the R word uh, that that uh, Quinn might be able to get accomplished, and that is recruiting. Not in an illegal sense, but just in the sense that you described, that that bright players, I think, are naturally drawn to this guy. And they're going to be impressed by him, even in a setting as kind of goofy as an all-star game. Uh, players want to play for Quinn. There's no question. Now, do players want to play for Quinn in Utah for less money? Maybe not. Um, do players want to play anywhere for less money? Maybe not. <laughs> um, but players, players are intrigued by playing for Quinn. Well, David, uh, thank you for jumping on as always and uh, look forward to hearing the broadcast tonight. It should be a good one. Why, I enjoyed it. Thank you, Jake. Thanks, buddy. Okay, see ya. David Locke, uh, his appearance brought to you by the Murdoch Auto Group. Any thoughts there, Gordon? I, I, I concur with what David was saying at the end of that discussion. I, for for a guy who is as charismatic as Quinn is and who has kind of that Hollywood look to him, I, I think in his personal uh, view, it, it's quite the opposite. I don't think he's he he wants to be out there in front of everybody saying, "Hey, look at me." That that that's not the way he thinks. He's he's about creating the best circumstance for his players to thrive. That's what he loves. He loves the competition. He loves the artistry and the, the science behind the game. I don't think he, he wants to be in the spotlight. You know, I, I think I agree with David. I think he'd, he'd rather be with the ones he loves. And uh, I think you're either built that way or you're not. And I think that's the way he's built. Just my opinion. Did you notice that uh, David uh, talked about that run against the Hornets being sparked by defense? Yes. And I'm not arguing with you because when I wrote my column about that, I did say that the defense was uh, really important. And, okay, you're right. <laughs> I noticed, though, that you dangled that loaded question out there for him. Yeah, I didn't load it up. I, I was really – and I You, were, you were even-handed. I shouldn't have said loaded. It wasn't yeah. loaded. And I, and I expected him to say sort of what he said. But And that's not even what my part of that discussion was about because we weren't talking – we weren't arguing about that. We no, were we talking weren't. about reads. And I think when you see a team hit a bunch of threes in a row like that, it it, it does kind of – 
bowl you over a little bit. But but I'll agree with you from a standpoint of the Jazz had to get stops because they weren't getting stops at that point. And uh, they finally did. And Gordon Hayward, until he got hurt, he was having himself a pretty fine game. And I, I, I kept my eye on him because the Jazz really had a hard time guarding him. Joe Ingles, I mentioned this before, Joe was getting beat by Gordon left and right. And I know that didn't sit well with Joe because those guys know each other. But didn't you notice that, that Gordon was just putting two moves on Joe and going right by him? Well, the Hornets are a good offensive team. They are. They're, they're sneaky fun to watch in that way because Terry Rozier is having a year – Gordon Hayward's having a year. Lamella Ball is emerging. Uh, you know, they've got some players that can do some damage. All right, we'll have more Big Show coming up. Stay tuned, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.